rise for the honorable judges Jules, Eric, and Chev. Court is now in session. Today, we're here on this 37th day of the Hex Drinkers calendar. To... <laughs> we only record podcast days. <laughs> exactly. Each exactly. day is seven days long. <laughs> it's just the yeah, only no, days exactly. that count are podcast days. Oh, the other right. days exist. The, the other ones happen, but they're ignored. Yeah, so on this 37th day of the Hex Drinkers calendar, as we were, of course, journeying the multiverse to level up both our game and yours, we have to meet out some justice. Meet out? M-E-T-E. I, I think it I works. I don't even know if that's a word, but uh, I appreciate it. it. it, is, oh, it's, it I know it's a word. I just don't know if I used it properly. I don't think you did. <laughs> no, that sounds right. You're on trial here. You don't get to talk. A crime has been committed. We're here to right some wrongs. That's all I'm saying. Potentially several crimes, depending on who you ask. There's no jury. There's no public. It's just us and the accused. And if you've been following our roast series, you could probably guess who that is. But I'll help you anyway. First it was me. Then it was Eric. Then it was Chev, which means that there's only one possible option left for today's trial, and that's Oak. Did I do that? <laughs> Now, if you have been living under a rock, only just discovered us recently, or just want to hear us talk more about things, Eric is going to explain to you what these roasts are all about and how we proceed through them, and then we will uh, we'll get to the, the meaty action. Absolutely. So in our playgroup, we have some decks that end up through lack of TLC, color combination, original strategy, any number of things that we just end up not loving. And most of us know what decks those are that people don't love. So this is a system we've created to help each other revamp those decks, but also help get out some of the nasty, nasty things we think to ourselves whenever that deck comes out of the deck box. <laughs> Oakley is going to give us a brief rundown of what he thinks the deck is about, what he thinks it does well, what he thinks it does poorly. Uh, we will then tell him what it does poorly, and that's about it. And then at the end, as a sort of mea culpa, we will tell him what the deck could do well and how we think we can get there. Well put. All right. Oak, take the stand and uh, deliver your opening statement. <clears throat> Guilty. Oh, uh, sorry. That wasn't, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the plea. Uh, my bad. All right. Um, well, luckily, we did not have you swear on the Bible yet, so <laughs> we'll, we'll strike that one from the record. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank God. Um, all right. So I am on trial, but the deck specifically of mine that is on trial today is my Noyandar Royal Shaper deck. Should I explain what that card does? Nah, probably not. Probably, probably it's, it's the it's like central argument <laughs> of a lot of this. Fine. So, <clears throat> Noyantar is a five mana, uh, three, a white, and a blue, legendary merfolk ally with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may put three 1-1 one, one counters on target land you control. If you do, that land becomes a 0-0 zero, zero elemental creature with haste that's still land. <clears throat> you could probably surmise some of the idea, the strategy behind this deck. It is a spells matter deck. Whereupon you open the game sort of like playing nonchalantly and uh, sort of control like. Then when you get an opening, you resolve Noyandar, and then once Noyandar is out there, um, you have a million ways in the deck to protect him. You've got removal spells, board wipes, counter spells, all the stuff that everyone loves, especially Julian. Don't you be putting this back on me. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> so. This sort of deck, uh, Spells Matter, has been kind of my favorite magic archetype for pretty much since the first deck I really ever put together 
on my own. That was good. <laughs> when I had created this deck, or when I went to create this deck, uh, it was also a deliberate attempt to forego red, which is, across Magic's history, a very commonly used color in these sort of decks. So it ended up um, certainly playing out a lot different, I'm sure. Not really like you'd imagine, like Legacy Delver or like Modern Prowess to be. Some typical spells matter decks. And uh, let's just say going off red was a bad idea. <laughs> and I haven't uh, gone back since. <laughs> so this deck, I think um, thematically, I, I really enjoy it beyond just being like decks like playstyle being what I like. I, I think the idea of like animating lands to like fight for you is really cool. Me and Chev bought the dual decks, Eldrazi versus whatever, Zendikar lands deck, and that, I feel like, was what sort of started that, and then I made, like, a janky, like, lands, untap, Jeskai Ascendancy deck that was in uh, <laughs> Pioneer for a while, and uh, then this guy came around. So, uh, that's about all I have to say, I think, unless anyone thinks I'm missing anything. <laughs> and, well, we'll uh, let you know. Yeah, we're about to tell you. Okay. Well, you're missing a couple things. But we'll get there. All right, I'm excited. I'm excited. So, um, yeah, I'll just step back and let the uh, prosecution do its thing. <laughs> okay. So, Noyandar. You know, when was the last time Noyandar actually did me dirty? Like 2017. I know I've been on the wrong side of an animated land or two, but Noyandar feels like the guy who peaked in high school and still wants to tell you about it. Even with the aggressive amount that Oak has been playing this deck recently. It still feels like the Merfolk's best days are behind him. On first read through the deck list, I could imagine a wizened old Merfolk being like, ooh, remember when I made lands indestructible and swung for lethal? And I'm like, that's right, Pop-Pop. Now eat your fish flakes and go to bed. We can hear all about your glory <laughs> days tomorrow. <laughs> now, Oakley would be upset, and I'm sure he's going to take a note. I am legally required to tell you that Noyandar did win one of the Olympic Games during this past summer. But honestly, I have zero memory of it. I made a post in our Slack about, you know, wanting to call out Noyan. Oakley mentioned something about Noyan's victory. I then reached out to both Eric and Julian asking about that game so we could reference it. Neither of them remembered. We're not 100% sure Noyan won that game, but, you know, I'm sure he did. And that, that's really all you need to know about how much soul this deck has. But before I really get going, do you know, do you know what would be infinitely more useful for this deck than anything any of us have said or will say in the next hour? Just keeping it up to date. There's a fine coat of dust on this deck list, like a caveman frozen in ice. It reminds you of a time gone by when Commander was just starting to get the full Eye of Sauron treatment from Wizards. It was a simpler time. And although maybe I shouldn't be giving too much of this away, as one of the people who needs to offer ways to improve this deck... It's made my job infinitely easier since I just had to go to Scryfall, type in Commander, colon, blue-white, and search for all cards that either reference land or non-land, and sort by EDH rack. Just copy and paste the first 10 cards I see that have been printed since War of the Spark. They would all be fantastic picks. Not saying that's what I did, but I don't think you'd be able to tell if I had. And it feels weird roasting a deck that the author has more or less neglected since 2018 and only really started playing again this past month. Yes, this also applies to Joda. Makes me wonder if the author actually wants us to roast this deck, or is just using it as a scapegoat to protect the decks they play on a more regular basis. A train just went by? I've never heard a train in this apartment before. Do you have train tracks? No, not to my knowledge. There's just a highway. Ghost train, baby. 
En enough of that stuff. Let's let's get into the actual deck list. Like first category, board wipes. I think the standard metric for a commander deck is about two to three. Uh, enough to you know bring some parity if you slip behind, but not a card type you should be slotting into aggressively. I think Noyandar has around six. Yes, you can argue the uh, tech, since a lot of board wipes are specific to non-land permanents. Generally, when you play these, it shouldn't affect a good Noyan board state since all the creatures are animated lands. But recently, Oak hasn't controlled more than a single animated land when these things are going off. It's like those supervillains that stop at destroying the world and don't actually care about what comes next. But it's like, is there any, any follow-up plan? And it's like, no. And this, this isn't really a knock against Oak. Most of the time, these board wipes are like necessary for, for the state of the game. There's just nothing in the Noyan deck that can provide a follow-through. No burst win or splashy cards that can quickly change the course, and you're like bound to that dirtle plan and all the board wipes it takes you to get there. So maybe Noyan is less of the, the supervillain and more of the lead actor in one of those scenes where the hero makes a long, passionate speech ending with who's with me and no one raises their hand. Where is the army that this deck should be making? I think the largest animated board state I remember seeing in the past month, and I'm putting remember in there just in case something sneaky like the Summer Olympics shows up, is a single 9-9. That's it. I can corroborate. Not saying that a 9-9 is trivial, especially with Herald of the Secret Streams giving it unblockable, but in our meta, that's just not going to cut it. I think it lasted like two turns before it got killed. And this kind of leads into my next point, which is how incredibly dependent this deck is on its commander. Truthfully, I really can't see a path forward if Noyan is taken out of the equation through multiple times to the command zone. What else is the deck going to do? Noyan has six other creatures to back him up and only a handful of Awakened spells to create these creature lands that the entire deck is built to support. Noyan is critical, and it seems like Oakley fully admits this, given the upwards of 24 pieces of interaction between counters and removal spells, hoping for something akin to Rocky's victory in the Spongebob snail race, hoping the rest of his opponents will just burn themselves out to the point where anything could win. You might be asking, how does Noyan expect to win? Oakley says Noyandar is focused on overrunning opponents in the late game once they've knocked each other out and he can sneak in for the fatal blows. Oakley also wants to do this apolitically. Immediately, alarm bells are going off in my head. You can't really force opponents to duke it out without at least egging them on a little. You need politics in a deck that focuses on the long game. But instead, this deck is more reliant on opponents' pity that they won't attack your empty board and keeping your fingers crossed rather than actual strategy. Noyandar is not playing 3D chess. He's Jerry Smith from Rick and Morty. He's Sheen from Jimmy Neutron, praying <laughs> other people will pass him by while he spins his wheels and draws some cards, and then stumbling to victory once everyone else is dead. Not only does Noyan not want attention for making any political moves, he also doesn't want the attention of problematic card choice. Nowhere in this initial Noyandar decklist will you find anything that would get a salt symbol on EDH rec. Not even a Thalia, Heretic, Cathar, or any of these like stacks pieces that would really help a deck that needs to make it to the late game. There is a Grand Abolisher, but it doesn't really count. Seeing Grand Abolisher or Sensei's Divining Top in an Oak deck is like seeing Kevin James in an Adam Sandler movie. Frankly, I'm surprised Selfless Spirit also <laughs> didn't make it into this deck. This whole deck seems really dedicated to not being noticed until it's ready to win, and that puts an extreme amount of pressure on the removal and counter magic to keep Noyan in the game and in my opinion, really limits what this deck is capable of. I know I personally shot myself in the foot repeatedly when it came to constructing the colorless Eldrazi deck that we roasted last. But damn, like, learn from my mistakes about arbitrary deck constrictions. Who benefits from the lack of strong stacks pieces in such a dirtly deck besides your opponents? It's also the kind of thing that only works once. Yeah, you'll sneak under the radar to win a game, but what has Noyan's record been since the victory in the Olympics? 
But maybe that's okay. You know, maybe there's a lot going on behind the scenes that just doesn't quite make it game after game. After all, this is an Azorius deck, and as Julian has shown us time and time again in Esper, this color combo is ripe for the draw-go kind of turns. Just in this case, that's actually all that happens. For 24 pieces of interaction, more turns are spent doing nothing than I've seen in almost any other deck. It feels kind of like a Storm deck that never actually does the thing. I don't know if it's intentional. I hope it's not, but it certainly feeds into that strategy highlighted of seeming completely helpless for 90% of the game. I've, I've talked enough. I'm ready to help rebuild, but I'll leave with one final thought. Noyandar is more succinctly described like a firework that never detonates. You hear it go up, you get excited, and then nothing. The games all build up to an event that never really materializes. And I, I never really live in fear of death by Noyan. I live in fear of dying from boredom first. That was some beautiful poetry. That was amazing. We should just post Chev's monologue. I feel like Chev expressed a lot of what I wanted to say, so I'm just going to kind of pile on on the really important bits here. This is Drago uh, Blue-White Control at its worst. There have been moments in games that you have played in the past month where threats have appeared on the board and they have gone unanswered, and you have then been like, all right, draw, land, pass, and you're like, "What? but what's... But what's he doing, though? And just sort of this really strange environment where I kept feeling for the first few games that you were playing Noyan like something big was about to happen. And then I just realized that nothing was actually going to happen, and I was just playing a game. Like in video games, when you go to test your damage, and they've got like the, the dummy that just stands in the corner and just puts up numbers for you, I was like, okay, so there's one of those, and then Julian and Chev at this game, and so I just got to get that number to 40, and then we're good, and then I can go do other things. Mostly what I want to say is, like, if you're passing turns and not doing anything, you have too much interaction, or too much niche interaction at least. If you have six board wipes and you keep seeing them and you're like, oh, I really only want to get rid of, like, one thing because I have too much that's important to me, you should change and recognize that it needs a change. I understand that no changes to the deck list were made recently because it needed to be roasted, but like that's something that should be pretty easy to just immediately catch on to, even back when this deck was seeing a lot of play, that just like, something ain't right with this deck. You're passing too many turns, sometimes answers are asked for and you just don't have them, and sort of the balance of like counter spells, removal, and board wipes, like your piles of interaction just seem off in some way, and I... I'll get to how I think I should fi I would fix that, but for right now, is off and is bad, and uh, I always forget to be mean during this part, so just, uh, you're dumb, I guess. Uh, <laughs> most of the time, I'm so confused how you as a player got to this deck. You are a red player. All of the decks that you build are aggressive, proactive, and then you built a blue-white control deck, and then it's none of those things. I think that you were like, I built a control deck, so it needs to be passive and just kind of dirtily. But then you were also like, well, I don't want it to be political. So you built something that didn't really lean on political control, but also didn't really lean on like the active aspects that you were used to. And so you've ended up in this weird gray area where the deck just doesn't. And so a little hint, what I'm going to say later on is that I think we should lean back on that red aspect and try and get proactive plans even if you still want the late game to be your answer, you can proactively proactively prep for the late game by slowing down people's early game with more consistent cards than just 
I have killed your creature, make them wish their creature was fucking dead. But more than that, I have a way that I want this to go. You're going to say no, but I am going to use it as a plug for that. So I will pass off to Julian, who might have some ideas that you're a bit more in tune with. It's like you saw a book on the shelf that said control, and you kind of skimmed it and were like, oh shit, I know how to do this. And just threw a bunch of control cards in there and were like, nice, done. He just read the inside like cover jacket, and he's like, that's the whole book. <laughs> I learned it all. What more could there be? I mean, well, you say no when things happen, and then you kind of move on and draw a card. Really, it's an insult to Julian, but that's fair. You know, we, we insult Julian a lot. All right, listen. Let's be real, though. We all know that Oak can't read, so he probably went in, was like, do you have any books on control in the librarian? It was like, well, there's this one, and it kind of talks about like this, this, and this. And he was like, oh, that's all I need. It's fine. Where's the picture I don't even need a library card. Yeah. I want to see just a card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the book report's due tomorrow, and he's like, uh, spark notes. And he's ah, oh, this is too damn confusing. Asks his friend, like, hey, Julian, how did you build a control deck? Oh, I don't know. I just threw some cards like Counterspell in there, threw some board wipes in there, and Oak's like, that's the book report, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, I am going to get into that because as the control aficionado or self-proclaimed control aficionado, no one's fighting table, you for I, it. I have a lot to say. But once again, I, like Eric said, I got to be mean for a sec. This deck is a lot like its commander. It's uh, it's slippery. It's slimy. It's, it's ugly. Uh, and it's not really good at all. But every now and then, it'll just kind of like swim its way up the river and kind of hop on shore and just smack you in the face with a webbed hand just to like add some insult to injury because you weren't paying attention and then it kind of just like runs away and you know goes and does whatever it is that merfolk do um you know as a control guy as a fan of blue and white and especially blue and white together i want to like this deck i really want to like this deck i cannot so i kind of feel less like a a roaster and more just like a very disappointed father we already talked about the deck is forgettable people literally didn't even know that this deck existed before you offered up a roasting like was said, deck does not do anything, and uh, I think that comes down to two things. This is supposedly a control deck, but it's not a good control deck, or you just don't know how to play control, which both are equally egregious in terms of when you're playing a deck like this, which if you look at the deck list, it's, yes, you, you, need, to, you need to check both of those boxes uh, severely. So let's just assume that it's a bad control deck for a sec, because putting Wrath of God and Counterspell in a deck does not make you a control player, right? Anyone, Chev could put Wrath of God and Counterspell on the deck, and we could be like, all right, Chev, that's a crappy blue-white deck you got there. In general, I think, honestly, this deck, I think, just has a lot of, like, suboptimal to bad cards in it. <laughs> like, Serum Visions, uh, Anticipate, Port Town, Encircling Fissure, these are not cards that should be in a deck. Not a commander deck, at least. Maybe, maybe if you're playing, like, Standard from, like, six years ago, I could see Anticipate and Port Town. When you're playing a control deck you are already at such a disadvantage in terms of just archetype in general, especially in EDH, you can't be playing these crap cards. You know, you have to optimize your deck to the fullest, and you are playing, I mean, once again, we talked. It it hasn't been updated in a while, but still, even for not updating, you're below par. You're below the bar. There you go. (laughs) Whatever it is. It's bad. Yeah, fucking golf and its stupid rules where below par is like, that's where you want to be. Another thing, this deck doesn't actually have ways to win the game. It doesn't know how to win... And you need to be able to win, obviously. Hoping people don't notice you is not a game plan. That's not a viable strategy. You can supposedly make big lands, but like Eric said, even if you made a 9-9, but just no one cared. It didn't really do anything. And in a control deck, we went through this with Dakon. I have now like 13 creatures in that, and 10 or 11 of those are just straight up haymakers. Like they come down and all of a sudden, that is the biggest and best thing on the board. And 
you don't have those. Uh, I was going to say having one Ugin in a deck does not count as, you know, a way to win the game, but I knew that I would get flayed alive if I said that. So having one Elspeth Sun's champion in your deck does not make it a control deck. And you're like, all right, well, I, I'll just get to my Elspeth and then it's good. We're, we're fine. And yeah, even if you make a big land, what is it going to do? Attack? It's just going to get killed or blocked. There, there's no ETB. There's no attack trigger. There's no static effect from having a 7-7 seven, seven that's a land. It, it doesn't do enough. And also, like Chev was saying, uh, one of my other points was it's way too reliant on Noyandar, especially for the amount of just like random kind of spin your wheels type effects or just very reactionary effects. Every time I see Noyan, I'm going to murk his merfolk ass. And now all of a sudden, when you have to pay 11 mana for your commander in your blue-white deck, you're pretty much shit out of luck. Lastly, talking about just playing control in general once again, waiting for the first five, 45 minutes of the game and not doing anything and then on turn 10, casting a non a Wrath for all non-land permanents uh, and just having a counter backup. And then now all of a sudden the game is going to last another 20 turns because you did not advance your game plan at all. You just prevented everyone else and put them back to the Stone Age. That is a, simultaneously not a strategy and also not very fun. And I bring that up just because that happened like literally the other day. Uh, honestly, pretty salty about it because I was just like, well, fucking fuck. Because I was in a pretty dominant board position and I was probably going to close the game out. But then... I happen to have a counterspell, but you had a counterspell for my counterspell, and now all of a sudden, everyone's just sitting there, and it's like, yeah, we all have eight lands, but we only have a couple cards in hand. We have to spend the next five turns just rebuilding so we can even attempt. And uh, lastly, this is something that you put in your own thing. You don't have the the politicking. With Noyan, you don't participate in the ecosystem of the table. As a control mage, yeah, you, you're reactionary-ish, right, but you're picking off major threats to the table as a whole, right? Things that would end the game, kind of your job is to be like, all right, let's not end the game just now. And through this, you either curry favor from people or you're wheeling and dealing. You're not doing either of those. You're not talking the talk. You're not walking the walk. If that's the case and you're just sitting there, you look even more suspicious, which personally <laughs> makes me, and also I know the other guys, depending on when they want to turn their actual threat assessment on, uh, you're looking more suspicious. It just makes them want to go and punch you in the face and get you out of there before, like Eric said, Something always felt like it was about to happen. Well, let's just prevent something from happening and just kill him, and then we can deal amongst the three of us. The other boys said basically a lot of what I wanted to say, but I just wanted to kind of say it in my own way and also come at it from that sort of control mage's perspective because in your notes, and this is something I think we should talk about, in your notes you said this is sort of your control deck, but you also mentioned that you were very inspired by like a spell-slinging sort of what normally I guess would be in an is-it shell, and to me... This deck is not either of those things. So I think you kind of need to make a decision where you want to go because there's ways you got to shift either left or right depending on how you want to do that. Um, spell slinging, like Eric was saying, is a much more proactive sort of game plan and style of deck, at least in my perception, which kind of goes towards that red inclination of yours. And Drago control is not the best option in EDH. That's something that I think we should talk about going into this next stage where we kind of flip the script and give this thing a makeover. I, I believe I was I was late for game night two weeks ago and Oakley was showing off the Noyan deck and it was against Eric and Julian. And I had just arrived at the point when one of these board wipes had occurred after the game had already been going for about 45 minutes. And the only thing I could think of was like, imagine Julian and Eric building a very large Lego city. Then they hear steps. They hear thundering in the hall. The door gets kicked open the city smashed and it's their three-year-old sister saying, mom says you have to let me play too. 
And it's just kind of, you know, the game's going on and it's just smacking the destruction and it's like, I'm here, but then nothing really occurred. That is the right vibe. Anyone have any more comments that belong in this half of the roast? I think I'm good. I certainly hit everything I wanted to, and Chev, Chev gave a full, full-ass full dissertation. That man was read his rights by Chev, which uh, he can now respond to, I guess. Oh, I forgot we have this part of the podcast, <laughs> honestly. I was like, all right, Oak, we told you why you're bad. Now we're going to tell you how you can fix yourself. You don't get a choice in the matter. All right, so first I got to say, you guys cut me so deep on that. My lips started bleeding during that oh, whole no. uh, during that whole thing. So let's, let's go through, um, I guess, all the things I've written down. Um, deck is old and not played a lot recently. Yeah, that is true. Um, and you know, did, um, pick this deck partially because it definitely hasn't received an update in a super long time. And it was probably designed for our, our group sort of like level of play at the time, which I think was a a notch or two down what it is now. As Chev very correctly pointed out, um, (laughs) I did want to um sort of protect some of my you know my baby decks uh from being roasted but besides that um i also very much like wanted to turn myself in on this deck because i'm gonna be completely honest i a lot of the time don't enjoy playing it myself okay this is gonna sound lame lame as hell but i I really love to hear your guys opinions on how i can uh make this better and so this is a great intervention in in a sense (laughs) Uh, i'm ready to do some i'm ready to do the time now uh now that I'm clearly going to be guilty. As was mentioned a few times, uh, the games are unmemorable. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. Um, I, I know the one I won, I was kind of picking on Chev because he got knocked out first. Uh, and we were also pretty blackout drunk. So maybe that was why no one really remembered it. But I didn't do much of that game. Um, I just kind of came in at the very end, played like three counter spells and removal spells when it was me versus Eric one-on-one and just, you know, kind of won it with my one big land. Speaking of which, one thing I actually didn't think was, like, a super legitimate point is having a lot of lands sort of stacked up. Like, I feel like like that that was a criticism, right? Like, I never had more than, like, three lands animated at once. But the thing is, as, as Julian very accurately pointed out, uh, they get killed, and they're what you cast spells with <laughs> so uh it, it's pretty it's pretty rough when that happens so i always tended to stack them up uh chev mentioned that there were v- not very many salt cards Th- well thank you chev i didn't realize this was also compliments in the middle of a roast uh but their cyclonic rift <laughs> is actually in there alongside grand abolisher and i'm pretty sure that's got a high salt rating along with ugin and actually something uh chev totally hit the nail on the head on um too many restrictions on cards i very much want to be this to be a win with lands attacking type deck which is why i didn't put murmuring mystic or like anything else that generates creatures or value or board state or whatever uh from that so um clearly that hasn't really worked so well so maybe that's something that'll have to change (laughs) Moving on to Eric's <laughs> bad removal targets. Yeah, I could see that sometimes, but I think the thing about uh, draw like draw go and you can say whether or not that's a good strategy uh, in its own right. But part of it is kind of like playing low key, and it's like, yeah, I pass the turn and I don't kill that important thing. But I'm kind of hoping that important thing just attacks you and not me. And if it attacks me, then I'll swords it. And mm. this is this is a strategy we've seen Julian employ uh, a number of times, of course. I was more referring to, like, powerful artifacts and enchantments that don't necessarily target one person, but sort of impact the board state on the whole. 
is what I was thinking of in that moment. Because obviously, as a control player, you're not going to sort something until it's about to hit you, because it is free damage if it just goes around hitting other people. But yeah, that, that's a fair point. Uh, bad card balance, yeah, that's probably that, something that could be tweaked uh, in terms of like my balance of removal spells and, and like board wipes. I don't think I've updated this deck like more than a couple cards since its inception, so that's uh, something that's got to change. Um, the proactive part, I, I think you, you're totally right about that, honestly. Um, again, you know, when this deck was built, our meta wasn't quite as fast, <laughs> I yeah. think. Um, and the thing about Noin is that it costs five mana. I would much rather go, the, like, the proactive route. Uh, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? The guy that makes two two drakes. Talran. Start cranking out dudes. Dudes that, like, I don't have to tap for mana, you know? <laughs> so, uh, for what Julian mentioned, um, deck is bad. Okay, yep. <laughs> Got that. Wrote that down. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Chef <laughs> said, uh, I'm dumb, which, okay. <laughs> I don't think it was me who said you're dumb. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. That coming real but, deep. Uh, that was me. Oh, that was Eric, the- yeah. Yeah, in the right. middle of there, I was like, I need a mean comment. Uh, right. you're dumb. Julian, I, you don't like the deck. See, that's so hard for me to believe, because you were, like, my uh, right-hand man when I was building this. I had you go over this, like, a few times, and you, you gave the okay, so I don't really know what happened between now and then. I guess a lot has changed, and the deck itself hasn't really changed. But that that's totally fine. I can't play Control, yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of practice in it. That's definitely true, and I don't like playing politics, so... I'm pretty much shit out of luck uh, playing this. Bad cards. Needs a facelift. Stuff that has been covered. So, I think that's about all I have to say. <laughs> I think this is the first time that a, a deck hasn't had anyone on its side. Because it sounds like pretty quickly you were like, yeah, screw it a little bit. I'm going to kick it too. I was only half on Joda's side. I recognized that Joda was, was long since on the way out. However... Uh, if no one else minds, I would like to go first so that my proposal can be rejected and I can start joining other people's teams. Oakley. Yes. What is the most aggressive form of control? Combo. No, because combo, you want to wait, and there's a lot of draw go in there, and you're passing and you're letting yourself set up. I want to be playing cards every turn that are doing things that are advancing my control game plan. Stacks. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, hear me out here. All right. Oh god. Dar pairs really well with stacks because there are a lot of things that shut down non-land permanents. There's so, a little, little je ne sais quoi of of like <laughs> he, you can tell that he wants the control. Uh so my proposal is that you turn this into a stacks deck where you focus on a lot of cards like Cyclonic Rift, but there's there's a lot of other kinds, like there's Crush of Tentacles, there's Coastal Breach that are cheaper and a little different that can sort of get all the blockers out of your way and continue to, as you cast them, they'll buff up your lands. Noyan will go back to your hand for sure, but back to your hand is not the command zone, so we're not taking up commander tax that whole time. Uh, and then there's targeted ones, such as Displacement Wave and Distorting Wake, Displacement Wave is X blue blue, return all non-land permanents with converted mana cost, X or less to their owner's hands. X is less than five is uh, great. That is <laughs> uh, pretty much everything. And then Distorting Wake is just X and then triple blue, return X non-land permanents to their owner's hands. So just, bah, get them out of here. Blockers, important enchantments, all that stuff. It's all back in your hand. I'm like laughing over here because you were like, X is less than five. It's like, great. That's like everything. And then I was like thinking, and I was like, says the guy 
who has a dragon tribal <laughs> deck in the call with a man who's playing 10 mana Eldrazi on the regular. Hmm. <laughs> Here's one. Chev taps out all of his mana, slams a fat Ulamog, uh, one of the, the one without Indestructible, because that's going to be relevant in a couple seconds here. <laughs> I don't uh, think that's either of them. I think they both have Indestructible. <laughs> fuck. All right. All right, so a Kozilek. Pick a different Eldrazi. Yeah. Plays a hot-looking Kozilek. He's got, like, one mana left, slaps on the boots with that last mana, in comes Kozilek. Uh-oh. You hit him. One in a blue. Winter's chill. Cast only during combat before blockers are chosen. At the end of combat, destroy X target attacking creatures. X cannot be greater than the number of snow-covered lands you control. Know you're, know you're a slut for some snow cards. For each attacking creature, its controller may pay one or two mana to prevent it from being destroyed in this way. If that player pays one mana, the creature neither deals nor receives damage in combat. If they pay two mana, the creature deals and receives com- damage during combat. So, it's a cool way to essentially be blue and X, destroy X creatures. But there's there's some, some interesting things you can do where if you've been denying your opponent's mana with other stack cards, maybe that's a problem that they're going to have to deal with. That sounds like a really neat card and I'll have to look into it. But when you said one mana, I was like 99% sure you were going to say put mana tie in there. And I was no. Like gonna be like, no, no, no. <laughs> Eric, I did want to ask, you're proposing stacks, and I was wondering, are you going to discuss the like the quintessential stacks pieces? Like, Are we playing things like Thorn of Amethyst, Thalia Guardian of Thraben, Smoke Stack, um, or are you leaning more towards this? I think it's a softer stacks pass- package. Like, I do want to play Aether Sworn Canonist. I want to play Rule of Law, those kinds of effects in there. Uh, Aura of Silence, Arcane Laboratory. When you spend your all of your mana to cast like one of your big bounce spells or something, your opponents cannot effectively retaliate. And then they just can't get back in the game. And your lands are always still going to be there with this strategy. And so you're just beating through and they can't catch back up on tempo. That was the main element of the actual stacks package that I wanted to include was rule of law effects, tax effects, like Archangel of Ties, I think would be good. And then Thalia Heretic Cathar, I think, is more our brand than Thalia Guardian of Thraben, just because Noyan Dark does want us to play a lot of non-creature spells. It becomes a little hard to play a bunch of tax effects when we aren't really ramping. Speaking of ramping, put Archaeomancer's map in this deck, regardless of whose suggestions you want to go with. Two and a white. Uh, when Archaeomancer's map enters the battlefield, search your library for up to two basic planes cards. Reveal them, put them into your hand, shuffle. Whenever every land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, if that player controls more lands than you, put a land from your hand into the battlefield. So that's most of my suggestion. I can go more into detail on the cards, but I, w- I want to give you a brief overview because I-, I feel like you might not like it, but you might. I'm not totally against it. I'm not even like most of the way against it. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. It'd be cool to have a stacks deck in the playgroup. I want to jump in real quick just because Eric... I came up with two two sort of ideas, um, kind of based on that split that I was mentioning earlier, either spell slinging or more controlling. This is the control side. I don't like it as much, but it kind of almost piggybacks off your stack idea, so I just wanted to mention it quickly. And that's, instead of playing a more draw-go control style, you could play a more tap-out control style, which is much more proactive and plays bigger and flashier things, and aka actually plays cards. I'm thinking, you know, play a few more Planeswalkers. You already have, like, an Elspeth and an Ugin in there. You could play, like, a Teferi, a Jace, whatever. That kind of depends on how much money you want to play. Um, but then part of the stacks thing is, I think, a lot of that is you can play things like Ghostly Prison, Propaganda, Sphere of Safety, uh, Ristic Study, Smothering Tithe, Elspeth Conquers Death, 
Um, and then big things to beat through, like Dragonlord Ojitai's. Uh, I think you already have Sun Titan in there, but things like that. So obviously you're still going to play Counterspell. You're still going to play Wrath of God. You're still going to play Swords to Plowshares, but you're tapping out, a la tap out control, for these more big kind of things that impact. They control the board as opposed to controlling at instant speed and on the stack. Another thing that you could do is do a bit of a proliferate theme in there as well to, to make sure that you're still getting your lands up big. So things like Inexorable Tide, uh, Flux Channeler, these are all things that will help grow your dudes oh, yeah. as you go. And that will also allow you to go a bit wider than you might have. If you want to go control style, I think that's probably the way to go. I think regardless of the deck, if you keep Noyandar as the commander, Inexorable Tide should go in there. That's just such a great pairing. Also, kind of a clarification on all of our parts, but you don't have any actual man lands in this deck. Does that work? Does that, like, if you put Mutavault in it or, like, any of, like, the, the new ones from um, AFR? The, it'll change their, like, so um, you can still activate their ability and it'll change their base power and toughness, which will give them, like, in Mutavault's case, for example, like, 2-2. Two, two. So it'll become, like, a 2-2 two, two with all creature types plus however many 1-1 one, one counters are stacked up on it at that point. So that that would be the benefit to that, but it's not like if I'm playing um, Celestial Colonnade, it's just always a four four flyer with vigilance, you know. Yeah, I that might be something to think of though, because for being a lands deck, I I I do think that you could definitely bling slash diversify your land package a lot more. But being able to play something like a Cave of the Frost Dragon, and you know, you Noyandar it, so yeah, normally it's like what it's like a four four or whatever, but occasionally you can just. If you have extra mana, activate it. Now, all of a sudden, it's a 3-4 with 4-1-1 one, one counters on it. So, it's a 7-8 with flying. That kind of just buffs it up. Or uh, a Hall of the Storm Giants. Or there's probably one that you can find that's, like, unblockable or whatever. But I, I would look at man lands because those are also... Free resource. Yeah, they're a great way to have threats without taking up slots in your deck. It's a classic control thing to just win with, like, a Celestial Colony. Yeah. Like and also, if you have, like your enablers out, but Noyandar has been killed or you just haven't had the time to get him down, then you can still swing in with, like, in the case of the Hall of the Storm Giants, like a 6-6 indestructible creature because you have, like, your your things that make your lands indestructible or any of those other enablers sort of online. It's funny you say that because, like, I when I was building this, I must have completely passed up on the idea of man lands in favor of lands that, well, come in indestructible, sure, but, like, Drownyard Temple which I can play from the graveyard to the battlefield, and then, like, Dunes of the Dead, which gives me a zombie when it dies, Flagstones of Trocare gives me a planes when it dies. I, I just knew these things were going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, might as well get some value. Before Chev goes, or whatever, just to um, mention real quick the proliferate theme uh, in combination with adding more planeswalkers, uh, that's an idea, but it also sounds like it's encroaching a little bit on the Narset creature uh, commander deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't think you'll be casting back. like five planeswalkers for free randomly, so I don't think we'll hit the same issues. I do really dig the proliferate idea and just uh, like also 1 1 counters in general. Like, I, I, I really can't believe it's uh, something I didn't think of. Like, I got, you know, Abzan Falconer and like Halmar Tide, Co or no, uh, um, Herald of Secret Streams in there. So, like, creatures you control with 1 1 counters have evasion, but no proliferate to just make them bigger why i don't know <laughs> i i do have a bunch i'm going to jump into but first i want a clarification are those artifact lands that came out um is that the full cycle or are they just enemy the ones that came out in modern horizons too i felt like it was the whole cycle it's all of them yeah. all of them 
Awesome. So you have another indestructible land piece that can go in there and make us all upset. So for me, I, I kind of went a similar route for, for Eric in terms of Noyandar is going to take a while before you can actually win. And so we need ways to kind of keep you alive in that meanwhile. And I know you've talked about not really liking politics and more of that, you know, taking sides, making these back alley deals. And it's like, okay, sure. We don't, we don't want to turn into Julian here. That's, that's not what we're saying. Um, <laughs> let's make the cards make the political decisions for you. So instead of you having to put all of this on yourself, I'm talking about cards like Scholarship Sponsor or Keeper of the Accord. These ones that bring up your lands to where Scholarship Sponsor is great in the terms of it gets everyone lands equal to the person who has the most. Obviously, this will benefit you the, the most, but it also curries favor with the other players. Like I'm assuming some of this political stuff is you don't want to owe anyone anything. You don't want to be at the like receiving end of a deal and feel like, you're now beholden to them in some way and that could affect their deals, especially if someone's like, well, wait a minute, I did this for you. Why can't you do it for me? If you're the one giving that power, if you're the one that everyone kind of has to feel that way about, you're much less likely to get attacked than as a neutral third party. So it, it sounds almost like you're suggesting like group hug type. A little bit. Not, a little not bit. to the extent okay. where it's like, you know, we're all in this together. That's really just with scholarship sponsor. Um, but something like Keeper of the Accord too, where you're tutoring up these lands uh, based on the green player, probably. That's just a good card to have in there. Thinking about it like it's netting you one-third of a creature or something like that, but you're also getting up to parity and you have more targets, especially when these lands could be destroyed more easily. Something else to consider? Goads in blue now. I know that's one of your favorite multiplayer mechanics. There is this card that I think is the most Oakley card ever printed outside of red, and it needs to go in here immediately regardless, and that is Sly Instigator. I think it's like a 1-2 two for 2 or something. Doesn't matter. What's important is you tap a blue and it. Goad target creature you don't control. It's unblockable this turn. <laughs> so not only do you get that aspect of I'm playing politically, but you get to do the thing that I know you love doing, which is like, you know, I'm setting up the board and things are happening, but it's not technically my fault. You like those little <laughs> creases where it's like, yeah, this creature's unblockable and it's huge, but it's not coming at me. It's not my problem. And it's like, it's this other person's creature that swung. This kind of thing will allow these other creatures to get in there, whittle down your opponents, which is what you're waiting for, but just a little more on your own schedule. Uh, something else to consider is, I, I think Eric mentioned the demonstrate cycle of cards in a recent uh, podcast, but excavation technique, destroy permanent, get two tr uh, the permanent's controller gets two treasures. Key thing is it's destroy target non-land permanent. So it hits your little funny bone of trying to get as many cards that don't target lands as possible. But then you also get the benefit of, you know, what do you actually need on the field? You need Noyan and you need your lands. Literally all you're trying to do. So you, <laughs> e even if you lose some piece of tech at that cost, you've destroyed two permanents. You can even get rid of one of your things if you need the mana of those two treasures as well. So anything that kind of like curries favor with an opponent, but doesn't necessarily put you in their debt in any way. A final card I want to kind of illustrate in this is uh, Tidal Barracuda. It's probably the most aggressive of the style of card. It, it hits your Grand Abolisher bone where people can't cast spells during your turn, but it also gives all spells flash. Oh! So you're safe, but it causes everyone else to have other things to deal with and makes it more likely that they're going to like that sort of flash environment. Like, think how excited Julian could, would be if he could play all of his things in someone else's end step. Now you don't even have to worry about him. You got Eric, who's thinking, like, I can finally play instance. That's exciting for him. 
These are all sort of lesser known picks that fit into your play style of continuing the game, playing resources, but not drawing that hate. I, I love all those suggestions. Those are those are all sweet cards. I'm now just thinking about everyone will just start leaving up mana to like do things off turn, and then someone's going to try and kill the Barracuda, and the absolute slew of spells that will go through this stack there. <laughs> I have one, two, three, four, five responses. <laughs> I will put like Swords to Plowshares on the stack. I'll be like, all right, I'm killing the Barracuda. Everyone else will be like, oh, shoot. All right, let me get all these things out of my hand. And then I'll let those all resolve. And then before the Swords of Plowshares goes, I'll just fucking flash in a Wrath of God and be like, gotcha. <laughs> and see, that that's what a control player mindset needs. So you need to play the cards that don't make you have to make those decisions if you want to be in this color pair. And you don't want to go to that degenerate level. That's fucked up, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> How did this turn into the roast of Julian? I thought I already did my time. It's just so easy. We're in control. But um, two cards I want to highlight that are kind of outside of that political mindset. One is a recent card from Strixhaven. It's Dika, Fractal Theorist. I know you want to rely on your lands as the, the kind of things that get pumped up and what's winning you. But Dika comes in a little bit, I think, more interesting than Talran because it's making fractals that also have those 1-1 counters. But you get 1-1 counters equal to the spell's converted mana cost. So it kind of gives you a uh, secondary Noyan because you still have all of these instants and sorcery cards that you're playing, but it gives you another creature to kind of take the brunt or attack with all the same sort of synergies that your lands had besides not being lands, but also not putting your lands at risk. So it gives you that other thing. And then, you know, you're playing an instant sorcery with both on the field. You're getting two creatures each time. And lastly, Spectral Deluge. It's a call time wrath. Removes creatures with power or CMC less than or equal to the number of islands you control. So you, we're talking about tutoring more lands. You do this, it has foretell. So you can even feel fancy about playing it like that. Uh, but it's another one of those non-equal board wipes that doesn't require uh, relying on destruction, especially when things like Ulamar are on the table because it bounces all of them and still doesn't affect you. Make your cards, make the political decisions for you. So you can step back and be like, I'm not making you make these decisions. <laughs> One thing I wanted to throw in there, uh, just as an appendix to mine, because uh, I did forget about it. If you have room for any more and or are willing to drop budget on any more, I think fast mana is huge for this deck. You have a five mana commander, and you want to be playing a lot of things. Like w one card I suggested in the like little mini list I built for you was uh, Gitaxian Probe. Like, that is pay two life, give a land plus three plus three permanently. That is gross. <laughs> I think cards like that work better if Noyan is down sooner. So that then you can just start cycling through all your cantrips, blowing through your deck to get to your more pow powerful control tools. And whether it's uh, like Chev's political tools or Julian's like uh, tap out control stuff or the stacks cards I was suggesting, any of those work better if you're cantripping to get to them and if Noyan is bumping lands the entire time you're doing that. Eric, I love that idea, and that's also a bit of the part of the strategy of my my favored approach, which is to lean into Oak's aggro and spell-slinging tendencies. So let's let's talk about making this into almost like a, a tempo aggro deck. So you were talking about you like spell-slinging stuff. Spell-slinging to me is very proactive. It's about casting a bunch of spells, not only on other people's turns, but on your turn as well. A lot of cheap sort of cantrips, like Eric was saying, um, that that's the sort of deck that you'd want to be playing the Pond or the Preordained, the Serum Visions. I know I talked shit about those earlier, but in this sort of deck, 
that's where they would come into. So I think this could become uh, a pretty interesting aggro deck, although it's a little bit more hard to fully realize and it's a little bit more glass cannony. Like Eric was saying, fast mana is a great great idea because getting Noran out as quickly as possible is key and also protecting Noran is key so playing things like Enlightened Tutor, Idyllic Tutor to be able to get your Terra Eternal which protects your lands and then also uh, you know your things like your your boots, your greaves, your dark steel plate to make sure that Noran is um, always active and protected is important and then after that you just slam through your deck with those cheap cantrips whether you're playing just things that draw a card, whether you're playing things like uh, Frantic Search that draws you a few cards, but it also untaps your lands, um, like an Impulse just to dig deeper, whatever. Um, just really chaining through your deck and building up those counters. And this is a spot where you could start to go wide. And then you could have a bunch of things like like you already have Halimar Tidecaller, which gives your stuff flying, uh, Falconer, which gives your stuff flying. There's also Abzan Battle Priest, which gives everything with a one with one one counters on it, uh, Lifelink as well as um, something Bonkin, which gives everything First Strike, which is not as relevant. But there are lords like that from the cons block, so I would I would look for those. Um, and then to buff it even more, you could play things like a True Conviction or a Chroma's Will, so that now all of a sudden, you know, if you have six lands and they're all six sixes, and you just slam one of those and you're like, all right, well, now, now we're really killing people. To kind of mitigate the fragility of your lands in this, in, if you don't have Terra Eternal, or I'm not sure if there's other effects that do that, but if there are, that'd be great. Um, or if you don't have Noyan, or if he's a little slow, um, you could play other things that care about you casting spells. So Chev mentioned the one from Strixhaven that makes fractals. You yourself mentioned like Murmuring Mystic, Talrand, uh, there's Docent of Perfection. There's also a Niblis of Frost, which I know you love. Yep. That kind of helps because that'll tap things down so you can... That, you can get your lands in and you're not going to have to worry about people like blocking and uh, trading for them. That nine, nine becomes a lot more relevant when uh, no one can stop it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even then you can just get in with your two four fours. Like if Chev has his, you know, his 12, 12 Kozilek, but you tap it down. It's like, well, now you can just get those in freely. And also you're not losing lands in the process and eight damage isn't anything to scoff at. Speaking of tapping things down, got to talk about Citadel Siege. You can play that either on a controlling end to tap the best thing down or to give your stuff more counters. And then I got to say this because I thought it was a pretty good idea. If you actually managed to somehow make this deck, I guess I can't be too mad because I feel like it's going to be a hard deck to pull off. But I think also in this deck now, this is where you play several, like four or five, six extra turn spells. We were talking about Wolfgar last time. You were talking about extra attack steps. This is how you get extra attack steps in blue-white. And also, every time you play an extra turn spell, you now have either a bigger attacker or another attacker. Plus, if you have, like, a Talrand or a Murmuring Mystic out, now you have these extra tokens, whatever. Fucking, if you want to spend $50 on Anointed Procession, now you're just getting crazy. Um, but once again, I personally think this is a very interesting deck. I think it's going to be a challenging deck to build right. But... I think that it leans a lot more into the things that you like to do deep down at heart. There's been a lot of uh, talk about the commander specifically. Does, does he need to go in way of Dakon? Or I don't Not know. Not if you're trying to do the same deck. I mean, there's there's only so many commanders that animate lands. Noyan is so critical to the theme that you're trying to kind of show off that if you swap him out, then we're just talking you want a white-blue control deck. Which, it, it, it seems like from what we've gathered, or at least the things that seem to interest you, that's not what you're really looking for. You still want to scratch that itch of something unique and interesting and using these lands and kind of keying off of that. 
So unless you want to lose a color uh, and play a similar theme with like Talrand or something like that, or the new one from Strixhaven, I would say you want to stick with Noyan. I think that you can salvage this commander. We could yeah. cobble something together, but I think this is your best option based on that initial premise. The only other real option I'm seeing is there is Obun Muldaya Ancestor, which was the Naya offering from the Zendikar Rising oh, yeah. pre-constructed decks. It animates lands, it doesn't go wide, and it doesn't care about spell slinging. Obviously, it's a Naya, so it's not really their forte. For me, definitely, like, the land, land animation part was really cool and but it was i think it was secondary to the fact that i just wanted a commander that triggers whenever you play an instant or sorcery you know or non-creature spell um but i, I love i my mean lands, well if that's so. if that's the number one thing you want then you know there's plenty of other things we could talk about but i think eventually we will get to a point where we just have to throw out all of the advice we've just given if we totally change the commander <laughs> i'm happy to give you new advice i just don't know if i can come up with with a new strategy on the fly like that. Honestly, I think you guys pretty much covered like every angle, every angle that I didn't think of, and then the one, the route where with like more focus on just spell slinging is the one I just, I guess, mentioned and asked for your thoughts on, and you gave me that too. So uh, I'm I'm satisfied. I, I think the biggest thing is like before you kind of go with any of these, I would try to update the deck list to modern day and then see if there's a direction change. Because the last couple of years, especially in white and blue and color combos that aren't green, have tried to do their best to kind of get parity at the commander level. And we've seen a lot of it, like all the cards we mentioned to kind of get lands and bring white up have come out in the last three years. And so all these things where get it to a state where it could be just the 2021 reboot and then try to pivot from there might be a better way to kind of look at the depth of cards that kind of are at your disposal here. Okay, I, I dig it. Excellent. Well... Oak, I regret to inform you that you have been found guilty, but I am I'm happy to inform you that uh, you got a reduced sentence and you'll probably be let out on good behavior fairly <laughs> soon. So uh, we look forward to working with you in a, in a little bit. All right. Well, despite the facade, this was a podcast. We are a group called The Hex Drinkers. We talk about uh, magic content, which you can find either on this podcast. Hopefully you saw it on maybe Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm. We're pretty much wherever you might find podcasts. Um, you can also check out our content at hexdrinkers.com. We've got the podcast there. We've also got a bunch of articles, videos. You can find those videos also on youtube.com um, at hexdrinkers. If you want to see us live and in person, we stream on Twitch at the hexdrinkers. Um, and then also you can connect with us on social media. That's Twitter or Instagram at hexdrinkers or shoot us an email at hexdrinkers at gmail.com. If you really love what we do, you want to support us a little bit, head on over to Patreon. Drop us a dollar or two. Toss a coin to your witches, as they say. Um, we're over there at the Hex Drinkers. And, um, you know, you could get access to the full uncut version of this podcast. Uh, you could access to all of our notes, which I can tell you there are multiple, multiple pages of how we kind of really broke down this deck, um, both emotionally and physically. And then how we uh, brought it back together, um, as well as several other perks over there. So check those out if you feel like we're doing a good job. If you want to help us keep doing that sort of job, um, go over there. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to all of our patrons. Well, this has been Jules for Oak and Eric and Chev. We're the Hex Shrinkers, and we're signing out. (laughs) 